calls you friend. Amen? Well, come on, put your hands together and give God some praise in here. How many know that God has been good? Amen? Praise the Lord. Pastor Coatsum. Ah, what, where, where can I be in, man? This thing has just been, for me personally, the rehab series has been life-changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when this whole thing started, Pastor, just tell them how God gave us the vision to do this at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, well, it was truly last minute. We just thought we wanted to do a series. You know, we always try to do an evangelistic effort every quarter. And really and truly, if you don't know, every Sabbath that we preach, we always believe that it's evangelistic. That's right. Every time we preach. We don't have to be in a meeting in order to call souls to Christ. But God gave us this theme, rehab, getting control of our lives. And we just thought, you know what? There's many people in the world today, they, their lives are unmanageable. Yeah. It's out of control. That's they don't right. know how to get control of their lives. They're off-center. Everything coming their way, it seems like a storm. They have no peace. They have no joy in their lives. So we thought that this was the perfect angle to reach a variety of people. We were kind of stunned at first because a lot of people thought that we were just talking about drug addicts or alcoholics or people who have uh, addictions like that. But really, we're talking about the entire gambit. That's right. That's right. That's right. Every type of problem that you could ever deal with in your life, the Word of God has the answer. Amen? Amen. Amen. So when we started this series, we were praying to God about it, and God said, listen, go forward. And then he even told us kind of, you know, listen, you don't even really need music in order to get this thing going. Yeah. This is kind of like an AA meeting. We're just coming together. We're going to be right. transparent. We're going to be real. And we didn't want everybody simply to have an emotional response to what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, when yeah, the music yeah. is high and everybody's praising and doing well, we're, that's great. I love that. Yeah, but yeah. at the end of the day, we want people to be able to make a rational, real decision for God and say, listen, I want to serve God for the rest of my life. Amen. Well, we're going to take just a few minutes, and then we've got more praise. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got more powerful testimonies and reflections that we're going to do. We're simply just going to do sort of a, a recap, if you please, of the journey that God has taken all of us on for the past two weeks. Uh, initially, this thing was supposed to last until next week, um, but as we began to look at the steps, and just for some of you who don't know, uh, we were actually preaching the 12-step program. Right. We just realized that the 12 steps were really biblical ideas. And so we took these biblical ideas and we went to the word of God and just saw how much God had to say about it. And, and what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a few minutes just to simply just have a little recap, go down memory lane a little bit over the 12 steps that we looked at. And uh, we're going to try our best not to preach while we're doing it, right? And that's going to be tough. Yeah, that's going to be real tough. Yeah, yeah. I'm feeling good already. Yeah. yeah. So step one, our first night, let's read this together. We admitted that we were powerless over our addiction and that our lives had become unmanageable. Uh, Pastor, when we first looked at this text or this uh, first step, we came to believe that for anybody to really want God or to really want a change in their lives, in order for them to say, God, I want my life to be changed, they first have to be rock bottom. Yeah, I mean, all of us, I'm not going to say you, but all of us have to get to a place where you just get so sick and tired of your life that you're now willing for somebody else to take over it. One of the reasons why many of us remain in control of our lives, which is really being out of control, is simply because we haven't gotten to a place where we're sick and tired of being sick and tired of our situation. And the examples that we used were Luke 15 of the prodigal son and John 5 of the man who was uh, paralyzed at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus simply came to him and was like, man, do you want to get well? And he had to be in that paralyzed position even to be at a place where we want to get well. Many of us think we are better off than we are, and that's why we essentially don't ask for help. 
It's kind of like taboo, even in our culture, to admit that you need help, to admit that you have faults. As a matter of fact, you just simply fake it till you make it. The holier you look, the better off you are, but we know differently. Yeah, the prodigal son is an interesting story as well. He goes out, asks the money from his father. Basically, he was telling his father, Daddy, I wish you were dead right now. Mm. I want nothing to do with you. And the Bible says at some point, you know, he wasted all of his living. A famine came through the land. He found himself actually wanting the food that the pigs were eating because he was so hungry. And it was at that point when he was so down and out, he had nothing left to cling on to in his life that he said to himself, the Bible says he said to his self, self, and yes, self right. said, huh, right back to him. <laughs> and he began to reply, what am I doing here in this pig trough when in my father's house I have many yeah. servants, I have food, I have everything that I could ever need. He would have never restored or kept in balance the relationship with his father had he not gone through that experience. Sure. It was that experience that provided the catalyst for him to get up out of that pig trough, right. go back home, and what he found was so marvelous, his father was actually standing at the roadside waiting, waiting for him to come him. home. Yeah, and the bottom line, but step number one is essentially this. In order to grow spiritually, you have to get to a point where you realize that your life is not something that you can control. Bottom line. Step number two. Step two. Mark 5, the woman with the issue I of love the, this story. Yeah, yes. yeah, I love this one too. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. How many of you know what sanity really is? Definition of, oh man, y'all don't know that? I thought we said that many times. Oh man. Yeah. The definition of insanity is simply that you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. <laughs> when we look at the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood, it's just interesting that in Luke, the word of God says that she, she was so sick for 12 years, she literally had a 12-year-long period, so to speak, That's a right. menstrual cycle that could not, it would, could not be stopped by any of the doctors. That's right. And the word of God says she went from doctor to doctor and from physician to physician, but actually it caused her to grow worse. Yeah, the bottom line is, and I think the between this step, and this is where a lot of us get. A lot of us do get to step one and two. We admit, oh, I need the Lord's help. I need the Lord in my life. We're there. The second step is simply this. She tried doctors. Mm -hmm. She tried everybody, and none of them could satisfy. Many of you have gotten to that place in your life where you're like, look, the only thing that's going to be able to help my situation, not a new job, not a new husband, not another doctor's report, but I really need Jesus to fix my situation. And she came to that point, and it was just an amazing story of a woman who, 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 who literally chased down God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was so satisfied just to be in his presence that she said, if I could just but touch the very hem of his garment, yeah. her faith believed that if I could just get contact mm -hmm. with something that he's got on his body, then I will be made whole. The Bible says at that very moment, mm -hmm. she was healed. But one of the things we learned in that story, Pastor, I want you to jump off on real quick is this. It says, and we, we, we saw this from the pen of inspiration, that if Christ had not told her had not paused and say, hey, who touched me? And given her opportunity to tell her story, perhaps she would not have obtained the whole blessing. Yeah, actually, Sister White says that she would have obtained half the blessing had she not told other people what God had done for her in her life. Mm -hmm. Part of you being blessed is sharing that good news with somebody else. Somebody say amen, please. Amen. Part of you being healed is being able to impart the same knowledge that I know a Savior that can heal you That's just right. as much as he can heal me. That's right. And what's funny about this story, what's not funny, what's great about it is that this woman was so desperate to be healed. She literally risked her life to go into a crowd full of people. The word of God says that the crowd was so thick that day, Pastor, right. that they almost crushed Jesus himself. That's right. That's and right. frankly, more than that, she should not have been there. She was an ostracized woman. She was unclean. She should not have been there. Plus, she was a That's woman. Right. She had no business being in contact with Jesus in that manner. But brothers and sisters, when you get desperate enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you yeah. just get sick and tired yeah. of being sick and tired in your life. 
just can't take anymore, and you don't have any other options, you will do whatever it takes to get your body healed. The Word right. of God says that she stretched out, and literally, she probably had to get on her hands and knees, of if course, not on her belly, course. and crawl yeah. and roll over, while keep people are walking on her and kicking and punching her. Yeah. But whatever she had to do to touch the hem of her, his garment, that's what she did. And the only thing that will... The only thing that would motivate a person to get that desperate and take those kinds of desperate measures is when you feel like you're desperate. When you're not desperate and it's all good and my life is just fine, I'm better than them, then you will never get to the place where you're willing to do whatever it takes to obtain the blessing that God has for you. And so we're not ashamed of admitting that we're not okay. That's right. It's actually okay okay not to be okay because Jesus, in fact, came to heal and save sinners. All right. Step number three is Elijah and the widow. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's read this together. We made a what? Decision. Yeah, that's crucial. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And the text that we used for this was, I believe, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 20. And the main point here is this. A lot of us, we, we're at the point where we're like, man, I need Jesus. I mean, I can't do this anymore. And then we run to Jesus, like the woman with the issue of blood. But many of us stay there. And that's why we kind of stay in the rut of falling into sin and coming out and letting our friends and our peers lure us back into our old ways because we've only admitted that we have a problem and we've only acknowledged that we need God and you just can't stop there. At some point, you got to do something about the decision that you have made or the belief that you had. Yeah, I think we entitled that night, Shut Up and Do Something. And do something, yeah. We all know it fairly well. The Word of God says that faith without works is Mm -hmm, dead. mm -hmm. You can have all the faith in the world and you can believe all you want to, but there are some cases in your life God wants you to do something. Amen. That's right. At some point, you've got to be obedient to God, listen to his voice, and act on what God has said to you. The word of God says in this particular passage that Elijah the prophet comes to this woman after a famine has sweeped over the land. Nobody really has any water. Nobody definitely has any bread. He comes to her and says, lady, I want you to go get me a glass of water. She was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll get you a glass of water. And as she's leaving, he calls out to her, oh, yeah, and don't forget, bake me a piece of bread and bring that to me. This woman says to him, listen, sir, I Mm. I was about to die. Me and my son were going to bake this last loaf of bread. We were going to go and then lay down Mm. and die. Mm. And Elisha tells this woman, listen, do not be afraid. God says that your jars of oil will not run dry. Yeah, yeah, She takes yeah. God yeah. and this man at his word, and at the very end of the story, not only are they fed, but he actually brings her son back to life. Yeah, here's, here's the point I want to simply make. Once you acknowledge, I can't do this anymore. I cannot. I can't do this anymore. I'm failing. I need God. Second step. Mm-hmm. Then the next step, you have to get to a place where, and this is what happens all the time. And just as sure as you're born, some of you guys came down for the appeal today. You made decisions for baptism. And so you're trying to figure out, okay, what's next? I promise you this. Just as sure as you're alive, God is going to ask you to do something. The minute you accept Christ, you acknowledge I can't do it, and you ask Christ to come into your life, the first thing he does is he gives instructions. Yeah. And what he asked this woman to do, he asked her to do something that she could not do. Mm-hmm. She didn't have bread. Mm-hmm. She didn't have enough for her son and him. And that's the thing I like about God. Hear me, everybody. God will always come to you with a request to do something that you can't do. And, and why is that? You're saying, God, you're setting me up for failure. No, he's not. He's simply trying to set you up for success because the only way you're going to be able to accomplish what you got to accomplish is if he gives you something impossible so you can learn how to depend on him to do it for you. Would you say amen? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think also we've become very lazy in our Christianity as well. We want God to do everything for us. You got to do something. There are some things that we have to do. And I think sometimes we miss the the God-given divine appointments that God has for us. You know, there's an old story told about a guy who was at Katrina, and he was stuck on the top of his roof in Louisiana after the hurricane had swept through. He was flooded. He couldn't get anywhere, and he said, God, save me. Well, out of nowhere came this boat. Boat comes and say, hey, man, I'm here. He said, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. 
Helicopter come. Helicopter says, man, come on, just grab this rope. We can take you out of here. I'm waiting on God to save you. And then after a while, this man dies. He gets up to heaven. He speaks to God. He said, God, why didn't you save me while I was down there? And God says to him, brother, I sent a boat. I sent a helicopter. I sent all these. All you had to do was jump off the house and get into the boat, yeah. and you would have been saved. I think at some point in our lives, if we would just take a step in the right direction, God would be willing to do the rest. I just love that saying that says, when you take one step, God, take steps, two. God takes two. Yeah. yeah. All right, step number four. Go ahead, Pastor. David and Nathan. Oh, Lord, I love this one. Read it with me. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And then we combine this one with step five. Let's read it again. <laughs> we admitted to God and to ourselves and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. I think the two key words that came out of that story, Pastor, was introspection and uh, uh, accountability. Yeah, let's just get to the chase. Your boy David uh, should have been at war. The Bible said where the king, it said it was the time where the king should go to war. David mm -hmm. found himself at home taking a nap. Your boy walks out on the lattice of his plush uh, palace and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. That's suspect. And instead of going back inside and saying, God help me, amen, he, call, he, he gets on the cell phone and he calls for one of, his, one of his bodyguards and says, yo, come here, let me holler at you. And then mm -hmm. when the guy gets there, he says, now who was that? And the guy was like, yo, leave her alone. This is Bathsheba. This is Uriah, your boy, mm -hmm. the one that sacrifices. Like, this is his wife. And so David was like, all right, I appreciate that. Then he calls to somebody else and says, look, I need you to go get her for me. Of course, we know the story. David ends up having sex with her. She gets pregnant. And then from that point on, he tries to create a cover-up, mm -hmm. even using Uriah, the man that had sacrificed his life for him. Sacrifices his life for him. He brings Uriah back. Uriah comes home. He tries to set Uriah up to make it seem like Uriah, it was Uriah's baby by getting Uriah to sleep with his own wife. But because Uriah was in wartime, Uriah said, no, I'm not going to sleep with my own wife while my comrades are out there fighting a battle. The Bible says David tried to get him drunk. And even in his drunken stupor, he had so much character that even while he was drunk, he did not compromise with his own wife. The Bible says he slept at the foot of the door of his house and would not go in and know his own wife. And so David said, the only thing that I can do to fix this situation, he went into cover-up mode. He gave Uriah a letter. And in this letter, the letter simply said, put Uriah on the front lines of battle where the battle is the hottest yeah. so that he can die. But Uriah had so much character oh, yeah. that Uriah, and David knew that Uriah had that kind of character, that he would put his death sentence in his hand. He would not Uriah is walking to battle with the death sentence in his hand, but because he had so much integrity, he would not so much as even open the letter. And of course, Uriah died. And then what happened, Pastor? Yeah, it's just funny. I, I just want to say this too before we continue on with the story, man. For you to say that the Bible is uninteresting is crazy. I mean, you think Olivia Pope and Scandal is good? Yeah. Like, this is like the biggest scandal in history. Oh, yeah, okay? it's got to be. He yeah. tries to kill one of his own mighty men. Yeah. What ends up happening to David is this. Nathan, his prophet, comes to him and basically busts his body. That's right. That's okay? right. That's right. Nathan comes to him and says, well, he tells him an elaborate story. There was a man in a certain village who did not want to sacrifice his own goat, so he took the one little ewe lamb of a poor guy. Mercy. And David gets all upset. He gets all disheveled. And he said, that man must die. Yeah. <laughs> and he must pay back four times what he took from this poor man. Mm -hmm. And Nathan looks him square in the eyes and points at him and mm -hmm. says, David, you are that man. I'm talking about you. I'm yeah. talking about you. Yeah. I think what we got from that, Pastor, is that all of us need Nathans in our lives. You can't be afraid of people in your life telling you the truth yeah. or giving you some kind of criticism. That's right. If you can't stand any kind of criticism in your life, if nobody can tell you nothing, at the end of the day, you are a very weak person. That's right. 
That's right. Many of us are not secure enough. We're so thin-skinned and so sensitive that we won't let anybody speak into our lives. As a matter of fact, one of the best things that ever happened to my spiritual life is when God began to introduce me to accountability, allowing people in my life to be able to say what I needed to hear. Mm -hmm. You cannot constantly have, you cannot grow in this walk with Christ and only have people in your life that tell you what you want to hear. You got to have people in your life that tell you you're wrong, that you're lying, that you got issues, that I'm here to bring encouragement. And Nathan is the kind of guy that I think so many of us in the journey. So many of us, we get to step three, we get step four and five. But when it comes to actually allowing somebody inside the walls of our lives to be able to get in our stuff, we resist that thing because many of us cannot handle the truth. Yeah, and not only hear that thing, but receive that thing into our spirit and decide to make a change about it as well. When Nathan busts David, David begins to say almost immediately, Pastor, I have sinned. That's right. Gets down on his face and he That's writes right. one of the most beautiful psalms in the, in the scripture. Yes. Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God, God. Yes. according to thy loving kindness, according For to the, the multitude of thy, thy tender mercies. mercies. Blot out all of my, my transgressions. transgressions. Yes. Create me a clean heart, renew a right my spirit, spirit within, within me, cleanse yes. me with hyssop. Yes. All of these things yes. he's going in because he recognizes I have sinned against God. Yes. And if I continue down this path, there may not be any turning back for me. David was in sin for a whole year and nobody said anything to him. That's right. And finally, Nathan got the, the, the courage to deal with David. I'm going to say this right very quickly. There are some of us who are stuck in situations and we will not get out until somebody speaks into our lives. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. David would have stayed in that mess yes, he would. unless God sent Nathan. And for many of us, just like the story of the brother Katrina, mm-hmm. God is sending people our way. To speak into our situation. Sometimes God will even use your enemies to do this, to get you to look at yourselves just because they're coming against you and they may even do it in a wrong way. You can even benefit from enemies in your lives and see what God is trying to tell you about yourself. We got to receive that. Yeah. Amen. So step six and seven. Let's read this together. We were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Uh Then verse uh, step seven, we (laughs) humbly ask him to remove all our shortcomings. Sometimes I have a problem, Pastor, because it's either between this story or the demoniac. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. There's so much in there. But basically this step is saying, you know what? I am ready for God to wash my life clean. That's right. And what we think is that God comes into (laughs) our lives simply to take out the one little sin that we think is big. And I love how one preacher puts it. He said that, that we often get rid of the cobwebs, but we don't get rid of the spider. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> My Lord. We don't get down to the root of the problem. Yeah, yeah, Or the yeah. things that are causing us to act yeah, the way yeah. that we are acting. And yeah. I love what Jesus says. He says, behold, I stand at the door and yes, knock. Yes. If anybody will open up that door, I will come in and I will sit with them. We yes. will have a conversation. Yes. Jesus is not after a casual mid-afternoon oh conversation God. on your porch. Christ wants to get all up in your life and clean you out completely. The Holy Spirit is not coming in to take away that sin that you think is the baddest. The Holy Spirit is trying to get you holy enough to get you into glory. Amen. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I love this story so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like... 
Jesus just cuts to the chase. Of course, you know the story. Jesus goes to a well. There comes this woman at a well in the middle of the day when it's the hottest point. And uh, oh, this woman's God. like, now, what's this Jew doing here? And, of course, they're having a deep theological conversation mm-hmm. about, the, uh, about the theological issues concerning worship. Yeah. And as they're having this conversation, it's clear that she's stonewalling Jesus because she oh, has yeah. something to hide. Oh, yes. And I just love this part. <laughs> this is my, my favorite part. Yeah, yeah. And then Jesus comes out of nowhere while she's just talking about what mountain they worship on and, and which day is the Sabbath. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, well, if you die, you go here, you know, just having a big theological conversation. And then Jesus is like, okay, where's your husband? <laughs> yeah, I want to change the subject right mm-hmm. now. Where's your husband? And uh, by the way, you just don't have a husband, but the, you also had five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the one you're with right now <laughs> is not your husband. Right, right. I want, I want to deal with the real issues. Let's not talk around this thing. That's right. Let's not stonewall. Let's not, let's not, let's not sugarcoat this thing. And uh, Jesus comes to the heart of the matter. And one of the things I love about this woman when Jesus cut to the chase of her situation, she did not try to justify it or make excuses. Just like David. She says, you got me. Yeah. You got me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after that, she made a decision to go tell others about what Jesus had done in her life. Yeah, it was just interesting. She said, I perceive, sir, that you are a prophet. <laughs> and you recognize in the story as so? well. She actually tried to be clever about it and yeah. divert Jesus' attention away from this thing. She was like, well, sir, I don't really have a husband. And Jesus, so cavalier, so oh, very yeah. nicely, maybe even a little sarcastically, was like, oh, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. Yeah. The fact is, you've had five, five. husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. You're doing all kind of crazy <laughs> stuff. Jesus is not after simply uh, staying on the surface. Mm-hmm. What many of us want for our lives is a band-aid to cover up that wound that we oh, have. Oh, yes. But the truth of the matter is God is not about band-aids. If that's you're right. internally bleeding, God's trying to get inside of you yeah, and cut yeah. out whatever it is that's causing the issue yes. that you have. And we ought to be thankful to God yes. that God is willing to get into our business yes, yes. to save our very lives. And let me just say this before sure, I, I sure, move sure. on to the next one. The word of God says that we are all naked before the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, so for your prayer life to be so shallow that you just casually say, God, bless me. Well, bless me you with what? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah God, yeah, forgive, yeah. forgive you of what? Yeah. What do you want from God? Be specific. Tell God all about your troubles. Yeah. If you have a problem with this and you want to do this thing, say, God, I know it's not right, but I want to do this thing right yeah. now. Hold me and keep me. God ain't going to get mad at you. Yeah, yeah, He yeah, already yeah. knows what you want to do anyway. Yeah, Where yeah, God yeah. says before we call, he has already answered. So open up your life to God and let him do his work. Yeah, that's beautiful. Amen. Step number, I believe, eight and nine, mm-hmm. uh, Zacchaeus. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, I love this brother right here. We made a list. Mercy. This is so specific. This is, we've gone out of the realm of spiritual talk to actually being practical. We made a list of all persons we had harmed. And became willing to make amends to them all. Oh, wow. Takes a lot of courage to do this. We made, di- we made a direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. I just want to jump off on the principle that you get the text. The bottom line, this is saying that, that when Christ comes into your life, one of the things that we take for granted, we, we learned this today. If you love God, then one of the first things that you want to, that you want to establish is right relationship with people. Yes. Hear me now. One of the best ways to tell that you still have issues with God is to tell how you relate with people. The Bible says, how can you say that you love God who you cannot see and you're struggling on how to relate to people? And many of us, all of us have hurt somebody or have been hurt at least at some point of our lives. Right. And so, listen, I love Zacchaeus because when Jesus came his way. The first thing he did, he showed real repentance. Your boy Zacchaeus then started thinking of all the people he had robbed. 
He began to think of all the people he had swindled. He began to think of all the people that he had hoodwinked. And then you know what he said to himself? He said, he didn't just say, God, forgive me for all the stuff that I've done wrong. He then took the next step and said, now, God, I want you to use me to go make it right with everybody, with the people that I've messed up. And I'm telling you right now, let's just be honest. It is hard to admit that you have hurt somebody. Come on in here, somebody. It's hard to admit that you have done wrong to somebody. Sometimes our pride talks us out of it. Sometimes our ego gets the best of us and we'll say, well, that happened 10 years ago. But some of us have put people in bondage by things that we have done to them. And if we would simply just say to them, I repent for what I've done to you, we might at some points and some possibilities be able to release people from the things that we have bound them to. Yeah, not only release people, but release ourselves as well. Amen. The truth of the matter is, when you refuse to forgive people, you're the one who's actually in bondage. Amen. That's, right. Not That's right. That's that, right. Huh? When you stop forgiving people, or when you decline from forgiving people, you are the one who holds yourself in bondage. That's right. Some of us hold grudges and our lives are bitter and we have no peace and we have no joy. When people are dead in the grave, they ain't thinking about what we what we thinking about in our minds right now. Alive. Yeah, we need yeah. to let things go and forgive people. And That's I'm right. not saying that it's an easy thing to do. Many of us in this room right now, we have had parents and family members. We've grown up with family issues. We've had many problems in our lives that have caused much pain and hurt in our lives. And as you said before, Pastor, hurt people hurt other people. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so in order for us to move forward with God sometimes, the word of God says we've got to leave our gift at the altar. That's right. Go back and make it right with the people that have hurt us and the people that we have hurt and then move forward. But I really like this story of Zacchaeus because it's just interesting that he's the most hated person in his entire city. Pastor. He's like the George Zimmerman of Jericho. <laughs> he is. And the thing about Zacchaeus is this. Zacchaeus actually, I mean, there's no, there's no need for juror 37. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what is it, 37 or 87? B37. Yeah, B37, whatever it is. I mean, there's no, I mean, there's, it's not up in the air as to what happened. With Zacchaeus, it's clear. He robbed people. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he was the chief tax collector. According to, uh, according to the legend, in order to be a tax collector, you had to outdo other tax collectors to see who can rob the most people. And so he had become the best robber out of everybody. He had reached the top. He was the Madoff, if you please, of Jericho. And the word of God says, even though he was as wretched as he was, he ended up becoming the most righteous because he dared to do a crazy thing. Oh, yeah. He was short. Huh? Vertically People challenged. hated him. Yeah, yeah. Vertically challenged. You understand yeah, that, Pastor. I, I understand that. And so in his, I identify, actually. Uh, amen. But you're not Zacchaeus, though. Just, no, I'm not Zacchaeus. That's the only way you can relate to him. Yeah, yeah. And so Zacchaeus, can you get the picture now? Jesus is there. He has come to his place. And Zacchaeus inside. This is why we should never give up on people. No matter what people have done, even, you know, listen, man, we've been tough on George Zimmerman, but you don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing even in his life right now. You just don't know. Oh, man, that was a pity pack Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't know what the Spirit of God is doing. Oh, yeah. And I can imagine the same way you feel about Zimmerman is the same way the people in Jericho felt about Zacchaeus. They're like, this guy has embondaged us, has put us in debt, has enslaved us. They hated him. And so he comes looking for Jesus. And now he's trying to come to the crowd. The people are like, man, dude, you need to get away from here. They're telling Zacchaeus, they're elbowing him. He can't get here. But Zacchaeus is so desperate to get to Jesus. Uh, how many know that at some point you gotta you gotta forget what people are saying, you gotta ignore what people are trying to do, 
Listen, don't you ever make no excuse that somebody stopped you from getting to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You better go find you a tree yeah. and climb up on that tree if you have to just so you can see Jesus. And I love this about him. The Bible characters, Pastor, all of them did radical stuff. They climbed trees. They, yeah. they opened up roofs. They, yeah. I mean, they just did crazy stuff because they were so yes. desperate to get to Christ. Yeah, yeah. so funny. Uh, Zacchaeus is so short to get identified with him. He's vertically challenged or whatever, and he can't see above the people. <laughs> he can't see above the people in the crowd. The crowd, the people who are flocking to Jesus, maybe the church, I don't know, i.e. the church, oh, my. are the ones who are keeping him from Jesus. And so this guy invents his own way to get to Jesus. And at that time, it's very taboo for any man, especially a rich and powerful man, to run at that time. And climb a tree. To climb a tree. Yeah. He runs ahead of them. He finds a sycamore tree. The Bible is very specific. And the reason he finds that tree is because that tree has very low-lying branches to the ground. And his short self would be able to climb up with his stubby little legs, maybe a scurry, maybe <laughs> <laughs> That's what you, you did that. No, I did not. Yes, you did. Yeah. Yeah. I did not do that. <laughs> I mean, at least make them longer. <laughs> Zacchaeus would climb up this tree. <laughs> and sometimes you got to find your best avenue to God yourself. Sometimes the means that everybody else is taking to get to God may not be your means. Maybe for a little bit of time, you need to stop coming to church. And I, I know this may sound crazy, but maybe you need to stay home in personal quiet time. And get your life together with God That's right. before you end up around people and you blow up the whole church like a terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Mercy. All right. All step, right. 10. step 10. Peter, this is my boy. Mm -hmm. uh, read this, everybody. We continue to take what? Personal inventory. And when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. We just did this one. Uh, here's the thing about this. In the middle, well, towards the end of the 12 steps, the steps then tell us now, now that you're showing some growth, now that you're showing some, some signs of sanctification, hey, don't get to a point where you think that you are that. You continue. Somebody say continue. You continue to take personal inventory. You continue to examine yourselves. And in this case, Peter was not willing to do that. The good thing about God is this, and I'm going to put it to you, Pastor. It's amazing how God saw Peter in three different ways. He called Peter in the same text. He called him Simon, which means to be shaky. He called him Peter, which means rock, and he also called him Satan in the same sentence. And this is one of the things I like about God. God does not judge us based on the one moment we were acting like the devil. God doesn't judge us on that one moment when we were real shaky with him. And God doesn't get too high and mighty on us just because one day we were acting like we were the rock, right? But God doesn't see us as we are or as we were, but God sees us as we shall be. The problem with many of us is we don't have an accurate assessment of ourselves because we do not take personal inventory oh, wow. with prayer and the word to simply ask God. And we have to do this on a regular basis. One of the scariest prayers to pray is, God, show me myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some of us spend too much time praying for other people to see their ways. And you need to spend some time asking God, God, show me, me. me myself. My friend Steve Ruff says it like this. He says, we expect more out of others than we expect out of ourselves. And God is saying, hey, don't get too caught up in this thing. Take inventory. Oh, number 11. Yeah, it's yes. funny. The disciples at this time, they're like the most undefeated team to ever live. Okay? <laughs> yeah, 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 they had yeah. never, never come across a situation where Jesus was present when they could not cast out a demon when they could not restore sight to the blind, right. when they could not heal the lepers, when they could not even raise somebody from the dead. And so at this point, they're feeling very comfortable about their spirituality. Right, right, right. They're right. kind of like with Jesus, but they're not really with Jesus. Right, Do you right. know what I'm saying? 
And so the Bible says that at one point, just before Jesus is about to go to the cross, it says that James and John, even though Jesus is telling them, listen, brothers, I'm about to go to the cross and die for you. (laughs) James and John are steadily there arguing with one another amongst who will be the greatest. So although they are with Jesus physically in his atmosphere and in his circle Mm -hmm. and in his presence, their mindsets are worlds Worlds apart. apart. They're thinking about glory and royalty and honor and power and riches in this world. And Jesus is only thinking about dying for our sins. Jesus is only thinking about spiritual blessings. Jesus is only thinking about saving people into the kingdom, and they're thinking about something that, uh, that is worlds apart, so they get very comfortable, Pastor. Yeah, what happened is this. Jesus went to go pray because he knew that this was, and listen, saints, we're not talking about a moment. We're talking about the most important moment in earth's history. Jesus preparing to die on the cross for our sins that he might save us all. And as Jesus getting ready for this moment, anybody, anybody know about shysty friends? I don't even know if you, I don't even know if shysty and friends goes in the same language. But Jesus is looking for some friends to have his back. He's saying, look, can you just pray with me for an hour? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. The word of God says he called them close to me. Come on, let's go up here and pray. The Bible says they couldn't help but go to sleep. Now, he told them, Pastor, on the front end, yo, the enemy desires to sift you as wheat. Tonight is the night that you're going to deny me. If Jesus says that about you, why are you not praying with him? He says you couldn't even stay up with me for an hour and pray. Of course, we know what happened. They all ended up scattering. They all fell. The Bible says you strike the shepherd, all the sheep will scatter. And that's exactly what happened to all, simply because they would not pray. Let me say this, Pastor. Mm -hmm. Many of you made a decision to follow Jesus today. And I know, you know, a lot of times when you make that decision, you're kind of like, okay, what's my next move? It's very simple. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, first is he's going to talk to you. He's going to give you instructions. What you have to do is you have to enhance his voice. How do you enhance his voice? By doing two things, pray and open up his word. Now, many of you maybe never really gotten to the word on your own. I simply suggest you go to the gospels, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's very simple. I promise you it works every time. You open that Bible, you start reading, and you simply say, God, show me yourself. Show me yourself. You talk to me. God, I need you to speak into my life. And I guarantee you the word of God will be true. God spoke to them, but they didn't do nothing about it. Yeah, yeah there's two indispensable things in your Christian journey, and that's prayer and reading the word of God. That's bottom line. I mean, yeah. We cannot overemphasize that enough. If you don't pray, you have basically essentially denied the existence of God. In your that's life. right. That's right. That's right. If you do not pray, that's then you right. are essentially saying, I do not need God. Mm-hmm. For if you believe what the word of God says about you, that you are a sinner saved by grace, your righteousness is as filthy rags, yes. then you will understand how much you need God. And not only that, but prayer would be your first impulse when you get in trouble. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Most of our first impulse is to go to somebody and ask them for advice. Right, right. Some of us, we just go shopping, we eat a tub of ice cream, we go watch a nice movie that drink, we like to yeah. drink something, sift something, put something in our, in our bodies, whatever we have to do. But for many of us, if our lives were given to prayer, yeah, 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 yeah. We would have much more peace than we have right now. Sure. And then the word of God is so indispensable as well. I love what Ellen White says, Pastor. She says that the Bible is the garden of God, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the promises therein are the roses and the lilies. Yeah. She says that the garden is free, and we can go in there at any and time and pick anyone we want and yeah. make a bouquet for ourselves and apply yeah. it to our lives. Sure. If we say that we are Christians, we have to take God at his word, and when God says things like, if you, if you um, delight in me, I will give you the desires of your heart, That's right. That's we right. have to apply those promises to our lives as well and believe that whatever situation I'm in, yo, God can bring me through this thing. Sure, sure. Yeah. Last one, number 12. Uh, having had a what, everybody? Oh, yeah. A spiritual experience 
as a result of these steps, and here's, here's one of the crucial parts, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So here's the basic message with this. That when, he, there's really three ways. I call it the trifecta of spirituality. It's like a, a three-legged stool. How does one stay grounded in their relationship with God, all right? First thing you gotta do is you gotta learn how to pray, right? Second thing you gotta do is you gotta learn how to let the word of God speak to you. God talks to you through the word. He gives you instructions. He molds your life through the word. And then the third thing you do is if you only pray and read the word, you'll be spiritually constipated. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. The next most important thing is you have got to tell people what you have experienced. And listen, nobody, a lot of people are always trying to tell his story. Listen, before, watch this. Before you try to tell people information and doctrine and even the gospel itself, First, tell them what happened to you. <laughs> no, really. It helps you to stay saved. It helps you to remain faithful. Make excuses to tell your story. While you're watching a basketball game and, they, you know, team's up 30, you know, you know, say, man, that team's getting blown out, man. I never shall forget when I was losing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're not preaching to people. You're not preaching to people, but you're trying to find ways to talk about Jesus. And let me tell you this, it's not always for other people, but what helps you stay grounded is when you begin to remind yourself of the goodness of God. Some of y'all done got so high and mighty, you're so far disconnected from the days when you was hoeing around. Come on in here. You're so far disconnected from the days when you was getting high. Y'all not talking to That's me right. in here. That's right. You're so far disconnected from the time when you was angry and shooting people and going buck wild in the club that you have gotten to a point now where you think that you are above where you came from. You have got to tell your story because when you tell your story, it keeps you grounded. When you tell your story, it keeps you humble. It reminds you that once I was lost, but now I'm found. And if God can bring me through that, mm -hmm. I know that God can bring me through everything. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, man. That's right. You got to talk about your stuff. Yeah, talk about your stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. The truth of the matter is nobody wants what you have unless it's working for you. That's right. You don't have a story about something. And see, many of us believe we do not have a story because our car did not flip over 15 times and we right. walked away. Right. <laughs> right, None right. of us, we feel we don't have a story because the CIA wasn't investigating us for anything. Okay? <laughs> we never shot anything. We never killed nobody or did anything <laughs> like that. We have to be thankful to God as well for the stuff God kept us away from yes. as well. And we call that God's keeping power in our lives. Yes. I know for me personally, yes. God kept Oh, me. yes, he did from a whole lot of stuff in my life right now. And just being a young black man today, I should have a list of things yes. <laughs> that I have done in my life. That, but God has kept me all along the way. Yes. I don't credit myself, I credit God for doing it. The funny thing about this story in the Bible, Pastor, is this. The demoniac has a story like nobody else in Scripture. Ah, he's the worst case scenario. He is the worst case scenario yeah. of somebody being possessed. The Bible does not say he was possessed by a demon or even a few or a couple demons. The word of God says that the demons actually speak up. And what they say is we are legion for we are many. In other words, he's got about 6,000 demons. Good night. Living inside of him and controlling him. And when Jesus steps off the boat, the Bible says this crazy wild man filled with 6,000 demons runs towards them. The disciples take off because they're scared at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this guy, he, he has manic eyes. His hair is matted. He is cutting himself. He's shrieking. He's screaming. He's wrist. naked. Chains on his wrist because the people have tried to bound him. And by the way, yeah. binding people with rules and discipline is not the tie that binds. That's right. That's right. That's right. 
Say it again, Pastor. The song says that love is the tie that binds. Yes. What we have come to, to in the church today, yes. we love to bind people and put shackles on them because what we love is behavior modification. modification. Yes. We don't really care about what's going on in the inside of That's people right. as long as they're acting right on the outside. It, it just doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't work. That's the whole principle of the story. The Bible said he has chains on him that he had, that he had loosed himself from. I mean, this guy was living amongst dead people. And so they simply said, listen, we don't want to be bothered with this guy. And some of you have been there where people have rejected you. They've cast you aside. They just said the most comfortable place for you is out of sight and out of mind. And it did not work. You can put rules on people. You can put regulations on people. But if their hearts are not changed, they they will break loose from your rules and your regulations. That's why behavior modification doesn't work. It's all about character transformation, right. not behavior modification. Yeah, and any rehabilitation program that you go into, Pastor, they're trying to get to the root of the problem and get you to understand, listen, my brother Myron, what you are doing right now is hurting you yes. and it's hurting your family. Yes. Not enough just to wash him up and take away his addiction. I've got to tell him, listen, if you do this again, you might lose your life. That's right, that's right. You gotta get inside people's psyche, inside their spirit, inside their soul, and let them understand, brother, what you are doing right now, it could take your life. I don't want you to have to go through that. And we'll end with this on just this story. There were two prayers, Pastor. Yeah, two prayers. That were offered in this story. Now, the first is this. Jesus cast these demons into a, 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 a lot of pigs. pigs. A lot yeah. of pigs. Yeah. These pigs, they, they go off the cliff, and the people begin to get upset. And even <laughs> after this man, the word of God says, is sitting there clothed, and dressed in his right mind. (laughs) The people are angry, afraid, and upset at this. And so here's the prayer that they pray to Jesus. Jesus, get out of town right now. Wow, wow, Jesus, leaps. And the funny thing is, this is a bad prayer, is it not? Yeah, yeah. You don't ever want to pray that Jesus leave your life. You don't ever want to live in a world where God removes his hand from your life or he's not looking at you or he's not trying to save you in any way. You don't ever want to have that prayer in your life. But the people pray that prayer. And the funny thing is Jesus answers that prayer. Yeah, he's essentially saying, if you don't want me here, I ain't going to stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm not going to be an uninvited guest. Mm -hmm. I want to be wanted, and I simply will come on free will. Here's the amazing thing about it, because many of us will say, well, I've never prayed that prayer, Jesus, get out of my life. Well, you don't have to say it with words. You say it with your actions. There are certain behaviors and decisions that we make where we are simply sending a message to God that I don't want you. I don't want you. And God is not going to be competitive with you. He is not going to share. The word of God says he's a jealous God. He doesn't want to be first. He wants to be only. And when he is only, the word of God says, he says that he will will give us everything we need. If we seek first his kingdom, he will add everything unto us. And so their prayer was, God, get away. And Jesus answered it. By the way, if Jesus stayed and he preached to them, they would not receive it. That's right. If you don't want God, nothing God does is going to benefit you. Some of you want God God to work a miracle in your life, but you don't want God. You can't get the glory. Some of you only want what God can give you, but you don't want God himself. And that's why the miracles that God has worked in your life haven't produced more faith. Isn't it amazing how the children of Israel saw miracle after miracle after miracle? And we're reading and we're like, oh, man, they're so whack. These guys had no faith. These Israelites, they're horrible. How can they do this thing? But many of us do the same thing. We see miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet our faith in God has not increased. That's because miracles were not designed to increase faith. The Bible says there's only one thing that increases faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What increases your faith is when God says jump, you say how high? When God says move, you say, where do you want me to go? Faith is based on the word of God. And when we move on God's word, then we are willing and ready to have God do stuff in our life. But their prayer was, God, get out. God, get out of here. 
And then there was a second prayer in that story as well. The demoniac, after Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples and they're about to leave, the demoniac runs up to Jesus, hangs on his coattail and says, Jesus, please, can I come with you? Now, that's a good prayer. I like that. You want to be with God. Whenever you want to pray, God, I want to be with you wherever you are. God, I want to go where you are blessing. I want to go where you are. Yes, sir. Where I am. Yes, sir. I want to go where you are blessing. God, whatever you're doing in the season, just make sure I'm a part of it. That's a good prayer. But God does not answer that prayer. It's funny how he answers yes. the bad one. He says, affirmative, yes, I'll leave. Yes. But then with the good prayer, Jesus says, no. I'm and the go. reason Jesus says no, pastor, is this. I want you to go back into the town. In fact, go back to your home, home yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. Tell your family what God has done for you. And then the word of God says this brother just goes on a preaching spree <laughs> and goes to 10 cities <laughs> telling everybody the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, here's the thing. Your boy didn't have to use many words. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to use many words. At some point, they saw him naked, running around with chains on him, yeah. looking like a crazy man. I like what Ellen says. Ellen says that he looked like more animal than he looked human. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what this one preacher says. One preacher says this. He says, he says, preach as often as you can. He says, but only use words when you have to. Yeah. Sometimes the best story, yeah. the best sermon that you can preach is not with your mouth, but it is with your life. Come on in here, somebody. And I can imagine this brother after he had been running out there like a wild man, when he walked into the door, do you think he had to tell his wife that I found Jesus? Do you think he had to tell her that the Holy Ghost is in my life now? All she had to do was look at him. Some of y'all ought to raise your hand and put it back down real quick because you know you don't look like what you've been through. Come on in here, somebody. Some of y'all are out there, and you, and you look at old pictures, and you can't even recognize yourself. And then you begin to shout and say, God, I thank God that I'm not what I used to be. Come on in here, somebody, and bless his yeah. name. And so he said, you got to go and tell somebody. Some, somebody else. you got to tell somebody. Yes. Yeah, Hallelujah. This is, this, is, this is the end of the story when it comes to rehab or yeah, rehabilitation. Yeah, yeah, At yeah. the end of the day, after God helps you get control of your life, as he did this demoniac, God wants you to share what he has done and tell somebody else. And many of us are afraid to go to the people that are right here in our inner circle, which is our family. And I have to admit, Pastor, family sometimes it's the hardest. is the hardest, the hardest people to minister to yes. in your life. Yes. But Jesus begs us, at least exhibit a Christian lifestyle. Right. You never know. Somebody may be saved. So we got one verse tonight, one scriptural passage that sums up this entire 12-step process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want everybody to read it with us, all right? Here we go. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Yes. Let's read. Therefore... Therefore If If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Who believes God's word? Yes, 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 yes. How many of you enjoyed the rehab series? Amen. Tonight, the Holy Ghost was so good to us in the rehab series that we said when we go into 40 for Family, we want the theme for 40 for Family this year to be uh, the rehab for the family. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be talking about how to restore our families. Oh, come on in here, somebody. We've been learning. We've been learning how to pray and not faint, how to pray and not give up. And here's the thing about this, brother. If you can pass the family test, you can pass any test. Come on in here. How many? Know? Listen, if you can get through to your family, come on, you can deal with anybody. Amen. And so... We want you to begin praying now. On August the 14th, we're excited because we're going to have our opening night. And it's going to be packed out in here. Oh, yeah. We're bringing Kirk Franklin's uh, uh, newest group that he has signed up. Actually, his first group called The Walls Group. Four young people from Houston, Texas. They're coming here with their parents. They have an awesome story. They tell me the oldest is 21. I think the youngest is around 13. And these children can straight up sing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And so we are glad to the glory of God that they're going to be with us. Also that night, we're excited tonight because the McMillan brothers. Oh, yes. See, y'all haven't heard them yet. But these are some gifted brothers. Come on, say amen. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Say, so come on in here. Come on and thank God for our musicians. Let me say this tonight. Uh, Willie, as well as Michael, I am so impressed yes. with these godly young men. These are young men of integrity. Both of them not only are ministers here.